वेलकम टू सिंटॉक द सिंटॉक अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द वेरी वेरी स्लो विल थिंक अबाउट वेरियस काइंड ऑफ प्रोसेस एंड वॉट मेक्स सम ऑफ दैम पर्टिक्यूलरली स्लो वॉट डज इट मीन टू रिलैक्स वॉट डज इट मीन टू बी ग्लैसी Does state of matter matter? Do glass window panes truly get thicker towards the bottom with time? Which are the slowest chemical reactions? Can processes be hurried or slowed, and how? How and when do protein fold as fast as they do? Do snails lead a slow life? Does slowness bring the past and the future together? Are slow processes more predictable? And what are the slowest underlying processes that will continue to influence us for a million years and more? We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Professor Biman Bakchi he is a professor at IIS in Bangalore he works in the area of theoretical physical and biophysical chemistry Professor Sachin Kethkar he is a creative writer and translator he also researches and teaches literature at MS University of Baroda and Professor Jorge Kurchan He is a theoretical physicist and works in the area of statistical mechanics of out of equilibrium systems. So uh Jorge why don't we set the ball rolling with you? Um when you think of slow processes what comes in mind? Maybe you could start with a jar of marbles or something. Um what what why are some processes slow why are some processes fast is there a way of something saying something very general about it is there a general reason for why some processes are slow and some fast okay so um first thing consider a jar of coffee ground coffee so you pour your ground coffee powder into your jar and as you all know when you tap it gently at each time you tap the level goes down by a little bit because mm-hmm. the grains find their way to a better position and you can do this experiment with all the precision in the world and you find that if you kept on tapping for even weeks or months it would keep on going down ever so slowly and even more slowly so the rate at which it goes down however becomes slower and slower becomes slower and slower but never stops now you can show that a glass in your window or the plastic in a ruler is doing exactly the same thing when it was prepared from the molten state it was like when you poured your ground coffee and that is the starting moment we call it the quench the quench the initial yes, quench the initial quench and then slowly it finds its way to lower and lower energies or better and better packings smaller and smaller volumes so that's what better packing means and this process when it is applied to glasses it is called aging 
and it doesn't stop. It's almost the definition of a, what a glass is. We don't know that a glass is always aging. Always, and it could be that there comes a moment where it actually stops. In which case, we would call it equilibrate. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that this happens ever. And in any case, it is quite irrelevant for practical purposes because you can spend a few million years doing that. <laughs> the um, what's the graph like? Like what's the rate at which the uh, process of aging decays? How how slowly does it become slower? So many systems do so logarithmically. So mm-hmm. uh, they age as much in the first week as they do in the first month, as much as they do in the first year, as much as they do in the first decade, and then centuries, and um, and and. That's the most mm, normal way to that it happens, but it could be different. It depends. It could be different for different kinds of glasses systems as well. Yes, provided it gets slower, it it it's, they always it always gets slower, but not necessarily with that role. And what role. determines what kind of a distribution it, uh, a system has? Like what kind of a like would you be able to look at a system and say that this should be the uh, rate of aging. Well, no, that is precisely why glass physics is interesting. That if you took a snapshot, you could see a snapshot of your glass at a month, at ten years, at a hundred years. Hmm. You wouldn't realize anything. Uh, you wouldn't tell the difference. But yet, if you look at the dynamics, starting from a month, starting from a year, and starting from a century, it is proportionally slower. The older the system is. But so, if you if you observed a glass pane, let's say, uh, or a for for a long time, would you be able to say when the glass was formed? Like, is is it a predictable curve? For a plastic ruler, the experiment has been done from a day, uh, a few seconds when it was prepared, to a day up to thirty years, and there is some very measurable consequences. Although no chemical change has intervened you pull from the ruler and then the way it creeps to the new length yeah. depends up to at least 30 years it does so inversely proportional to the age so uh, you can look at a ruler 30 years later assuming no chemical reactions have happened and so on no chemical and say reaction. that this was made on 19th of january 1973 yes at 8 p.m assuming that of course it was kept in a place with re- a reasonably constant temperature no things like that yes and indeed, we had a colleague that studied processes of glasses under water glasses and, to, and under, under the earth, under the, the ocean soil. And uh, she studied the properties in order to see the, if they had been heated in the intervening time. And this is important for oil prospection, for example. And when you say glass, do you mean glass or you mean glassy? I mean, does it, does it, so obviously we know what a glass pane is or a, or a glass of, I mean, the tumbler glass and so on. But what do you mean, what does it mean to be glassy? No, now glassy has come to mean any process of this kind. So an, a computer program that is optimizing, for example, uh, the the path taken by a traveling salesman hmm. and it does so with a lot of difficulty you would say that its dynamics the dynamics of the algorithm that is trying to find a good situation is glassy so now the word has spread like uh, 
like an oil but do you <laughs> you, you think it's an abuse of the word no, or it, no, it's okay think, like no, is it rigorous it's, it's, rigorous enough it's loaded but not abusive it's uh, <laughs> what is it for you bimanda the this whole business of uh, i mean he referred to under water under sea things what is what, what's so special special about water can we think of the same slow a slow process business in the context of solvation which you've thought about for so many years um why so, again the same question right that's at the heart of everything why are some processes slow and maybe we yeah, think of I that i think one uh, uh, scientifically one would kind of go around defining certain time scales uh by time scales let me give the example a concrete example it comes from chemical reaction or from solvation dynamics say i create a ion instantaneously by irradiating a dye molecule inside the water then we spectroscopically measure the change of energy of the dye which is done by fluorescence technology sure and this was one of the major things that happened in last 20 30 years in the physical chemistry and chemical physics huge number of work went on to this particular and water was found to be there are many nature science paper came out water turned out to be really amazing first part of the energy relaxation mm-hmm. that takes place nobody even imagined takes place in a 100 femtosecond time scale more than 50% what do you mean first part first part that means the initial part when you are it's energy its energy is going down mm-hmm. as energy is going down say its energy goes down by 10 kilocal per mole 5 kilocal per mole will happen in 50 femtosecond so let's say the uh, the equivalent of half life or whatever ha- something yeah. like that and 50 femtosecond means 15 into 10 to the power minus 15 astronomically fast and that because of a collective response it is a cooperative response then comes something which is you know about a picosecond then there is something which may be uh, 50 picosecond so at the same matter water is responding with these three widely different time scales right i think this is very important that the uh, ability of a matter to respond uh, to a external perturbation in the different time scales even in glass if you do an experiment with glass its initial response is elastic but is it as fast as this elastic not as fast but it's it not will, as fast right no, i mean no but if you do our simulations the initial decay part might be 10 15% that will not be not be femtosecond picosecond but it will be the nanosecond and you have to understand we are talking of relative time scales sure in this time scales of hours that we are talking that professor that who he talk sure this is you know so the question is the question of separation of time scales and when you say collective behavior mm. uh, what what do you mean like there is so for this ion or whatever that you're referring to the all of the water acts on exactly it. this But is d- does it not happen in the case of glass or yeah in glass of glass that's what's coming it to does, this right it does mm. the, all these phenomena are called in physics language is a correlated correlated response or collective response correct in case of water it's really very interesting why it is so fast which nobody ever you know imagined it was this fast i can tell you a little story if you what is me, it about water that makes that's it that's what so i'm doing yeah. let me tell you yeah. one little story one minute or yes. less than a minute 
and uh, I remember when I was doing postdoc in Chicago, there was a very famous scientist, Graham Fleming, who is now in Berkeley. He was doing the experiments, first time this kind of experiments with the laser pulses which become available for the first time. And he asked me, can I, Miman, can you get the time scale? So I got a time scale out by using what is called continuum model, not sure. taking care of the molecularity, using liquid water as a continuum. And time scale which is of the order of uh, 500 uh, femtosecond or 1 picosecond. He took out his calculator with my expression and came out the time and say, oh, we'll never be able to measure it. Mm -hmm. That was 1983-84. By 91, the Nature paper came out where he measured it with this 50 femtosecond. Right. So what I'm trying so saying that a lot of this depends on the granularity of measurement. No, no. What very interesting thing? Why it is so fast? Mm -hmm. The fast is because all water together behaves, interact, and behave like a spring. Right. They behave like a spring, and spring of very large force constant. And that's the, the this is nothing but what we call polarization response. Response. So if there was more water, more volume of water, uh, would would this behavior be? More accelerated? Would it be faster? No, it it saturates. It should be. No? So like no, 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 like that. If you have, you have um, ten water molecules, it will not be fast. Hundred, no. You might have to go up to say uh, thousand water molecules. After that, it saturates. Like if if we were trying to dissolve salt in water in a glass of water versus the ocean, uh, a teaspoon of salt in a glass of water versus the ocean, would it dissolve faster in the ocean? Faster. I'm, I'm talking of rate of dissolution. In, in, in uh, no. no. Unless oh, there's one more factor you can bring in, which is already <laughs> how much ions there in the water. Right. See, if in the ocean, there's already enough ions. So that is not a pure water. So if I consider, restrict my discussion for the pure water, mm -hmm. then it is a, you know, it is... Non-ionized water. Yeah. Uh, very important to know what, how many number of water molecules require to get the essential nature of water. What's for the answer? That's about 1,000, 2,000 water molecules is enough. Is there is there something similar for glass? How many how many units or whatever makes no. glass glass, a glassy no. you need, matter? You need to be careful with the size. And the reason has been explained just now. Because water is fast, uh, all in all, maybe 1,000 is good to understand the, the, the behavior. But... If you are going to simulate a glass, you have to be careful because the same constituents of a glass on a little cube containing a hundred particles will not have this aging property lasting forever because an, a finite number of molecules gets into its ideal position, finds Faster. it, just like an optimization program I was mentioning finishes by finding the good solution when it's small. But is there an element of, so Bimanda referred to saturation, is there something which is the equivalent of that saturation? That is usually one of the questions when you simulate, you ask, is this going to saturate or, or not? And it's very important because you have to tune your simulation to mimic the real world. So if there was a saturation, then if you go beyond, you're doing the right job. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> what, what is really important, hmm. as I say in the beginning, is the relative. Uh, in when we talk of the chemical reaction, as uh, I think you're going to ask a little later, uh, then a chemist, a physical chemist in experiment, going to look at it, when is the 99% yeah. of the relaxation is over? Yeah. In glass, we never know 
what is this 99 percent because you, you don't know the 100 percent exactly you don't know the 100 percent <laughs> so it continues uh, and that is uh, very different uh, but in the case of uh, water let's say the solvation dynamics kind of situation we're trying to mm. dissolve something is there such a thing as fully dissolved uh, that's a very good question. Because I, you, I, I, you seem to imply that at least in the case of solvation dynamics, there is something I would, called... I would say yes. Yeah, it, it might be last part, uh, might be about uh, 50 picosecond. That means 1,000 times or 5,000 times slower hmm. than the initial part. Hmm. But it is within our control and it is finished product, unlike in glass. Hmm. So, and, and just one thing that I am preempting something. See, this collective response and correlated response has many ways to look into it. For example, the molecules are coupled to each other. Now, coupling can make you fast. Coupling can also make you slow. Right. In the case of water, the solvation done in coupling making you fast. In glass, which is, you can imagine, based as a, you know, traffic jam or, you know, you know jam state, they are the coupling and the correlation making it slow. Yeah, we'll get to this notion of jamming, which is so mm, beautiful. Mm, mm. So, Sachin, over to you. You know, I think we've we've had Bimanda talk about water and Jorge has spoken about glass. Let's talk about change in general and processes in general. And you've obviously thought of social processes and other kind uh, of cultural processes. What what does this mean to you? What what why are some processes slow and some very slow and some excruciatingly very slow and so on. Uh, first of all, uh, humanities and literary studies has a very different object of study and very often it happens that it's self-reflexive. Mm -hmm. uh, humanities has been slow in terms of research in asking the question of slowness from what I huh. <laughs> gathered from the discussion here. Though it has always engaged with natural sciences, uh, whether it's theory of evolution or whether it's uh, quantum mechanics or Whatever. even, even yeah. genetics. Uh, uh, humanities has engaged with these questions, but the question of slowness, I think, has not been sufficiently explored by the researchers. However, uh, Writers have uh, engaged with this, and philosophers so have engaged with. So there's more about it in, in works of literature, fiction. fiction, poetry, for example. One poem that comes to my mind is by D. H. Lawrence, called "Elephants Mate Slowly." Elephants mate slowly. Slowly. So he is talking about mating uh, elephants who are very slow, mm -hmm. and this slowness for D. H. Lawrence is something of wisdom that they carry and the heaviness of their bodies. Uh, so he is trying to show how the slowness is sign of their magnanimity of bodies as well as bigness of their minds. So the question of slowness is uh, has interested writers from quite some time. But research into the question of slowness, and you use the word processes, mm -hmm. is uh, something that uh, humanities is studying but uh, there have been various theories of studying processes of change, especially in cultural domain, which uh, falls, uh, which humanities often study. And uh, some people make a distinction, like Lotman, between the processes which are predictable and move slowly, 
and the processes this which have Yuri Lotman would sure. say hmm. that there are two types of processes of change. One would be he's drawing upon a and school. And is this like for a certain kind of change? Is like cultural change? He's talking change? only of cultural change. Right. Right. And uh, he's using, I think, uh, ideas again from natural sciences and system dynamics that uh, certain processes are unpredictable and there's some abrupt changes that happen which are not foreseen. But they so change what, it. So what, 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 what is a slow process for cultural Slow change? process would be, as uh, uh, he would point out, would be certain social structures. For example, in the Indian context, the system called caste, for example, and the caste dis discrimination based on caste uh, is an ancient theme. Right. So it has, it's not something that has changed. Or you mean you mean it, so? For example, if we were to look at works of literature over the hundred, last hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand years, mm. it's, so a recurring, it's a it's recurring. It's a recurring theme. It's yeah. a, so in some way it seems to be fairly stable compared to other processes, like say for example, fashion, clothing. That as a cultural system is uh, changes very abruptly at times. It's unpredictable. Uh, that doesn't mean caste system has not changed, right? It changes, but it changes slowly over uh, 100 years, 200 years, with colonial interventions, with various kinds of processes within. But maybe not as fast as uh, uh, fashion. Why is that so? Like, uh, I know these why questions are very difficult to right. Even begin to answer, I get it. So I'm Comparative, not suggesting it. I think uh, answering this question for caste would be simpler, for in the sense well, how, that how does one answer that more generally? Uh, why, why are some social processes are slow? If if I think and uh, in every period, this system of discrimination has worked for mobilizing politics, and in the, where people get to dominate somebody or resist somebody's domination. So, because it is of use to people in the game of domination and power, in every period people have continued playing this system. So, because people have this payoff, which is political. So, it's useful. That, so, it, that use is political. So, it is kept in place. Do you have a guess, Bimanda? Why? Yeah. I, I think know I'll, 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 I'll more, more connect with glass of Hore and is that... See, this is a very uh, social caste or behavior is a very collective phenomena. It's a highly correlated. Uh, and uh, I give you again one little story. My father was ill and I was abroad. I It was took me some time to come back, about a week, when he wasn't really very ill. And, but then after I come back within a three, four days, he was okay. And then one strange thing he made me do. With my elder brother, I was made to go to all the homes in the locality. We, we grew up in a suburb and explain why I could not be present in the very first or second day of the illness. I always wondered about it. But then I realized that people are so well connected. There are certain norms of behavior. There's a strange collective force working. In, in the caste system, you know, it is not one person strong coupling between millions of people or all the people in the village. They are connected. There is expectation. It's just like glassy state. Uh, and so everything 
is what very... Do you, what do you mean expectation like glasses state? Or you seem to know the answer. No, no I don't know the answer, but I tend to agree with uh, Biman. Uh, I have a theory which probably, it's sustained by very little, but it's just a, a prejudice. Let's call it a conjecture. Or, a or even less than that. Yeah. Uh, there guess. are countries that have a small but very vigorous religious minority mm -hmm. that plays an abnormally large role, mm -hmm. say of 15%. And one, as a scientist, typically is in contact with the other 85%. Right. That bitterly complains about this minority that is so um, awkward and so on. And uh, I have in instead the impression judging as a physicist, that it could well be that this is a kind of equilibrium and that if for some reason, magically, 5% of this minority would disappear, another 5% would, would replace come from the majority, it. would fall from that bucket to this. Yes, exactly, like a condensation phenomenon. Right. I'm, not, I, I'm sure that this kind of thing should be a possibility. From what we know in physics, this kind of thing, although you do not belong to the minority, for some equilibrium reason of the society, you or perhaps your brother will enter this minority if this minority becomes smaller. So this just to underline that many processes are not necessarily um, somebody who is imposing something on somebody else. You know, because a lot of this depends on how one conceives of collective behavior, right? So for example, in the, and you know, one has to visualize these things correctly, but for example, in the case of glassy systems or a jar with lots of marbles, if one hard ball or hard sphere is touching some other hard balls or hard spheres immediately around it, obviously there is influence of distant spheres on it as well, right? Of course. Would that be fair to say? Is, is when there is a uh, field a action as well, yeah, and not yeah, just there's a very famous model. Mm -hmm which is called hierarchical relaxation, which he was uh, discussing some time ago. This is by, we call a gang of four. First gang author of four. Is, yeah, Phil Anderson is the first guy. Right. And then Palmer and uh, goes on. They had this exactly this model of hierarchical relaxation. If I have to do a relaxation at the center, say some uh, intercaste marriage is going to take place or something like that, or a relaxation at the center. Right. Relaxation means out of falling out of equilibrium or something new happening. That can happen only if a layer surrounding it makes it possible. That layer is a family, say. Right. Then another layer, which may be friends on that. So this is the theory of hierarchical relaxation. For relaxation to happen at the center, it starts far off, exactly what you are saying. Right. But why four? Not four, many. So Actually, the Gang the, of Four is just... No, Gang of Four is the, uh, four authors. Oh, Gang of Four is the four authors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and one of them is our very favorite, favorite person, Phil Anderson. Sure, 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 of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. And, and it's a beautiful theory, uh, which is... Uh, and they had to use infinite number of levels, any in, we call it number of levels right. N, to get a, a, a pattern of relaxation, which is called stretched exponential, which exactly what Hori was saying, that it goes slow and slow and slow as you go on. So that, that kind of a model brings in the collectivity and the coupling and the correlation together, which is to a great extent is what caste system is. So Sachin, the, is, there, is there anything that can be said, said about the rate of change? 
the rate of change because in least in some of the systems that we're talking of this it seems like the rate of change is either accelerating or decelerating or it seems to have an asymptotic behavior and it flattens out is there is there any thinking that has happened uh i think in humanities one of the problems would be how to quantify certain things like change in cultural history for example right that would remain a kind of challenge which is a methodological one mm-hmm. right so even if uh, you want to quantify it in certain way the data won't actually the kind of data that's available to you won't allow you to quantify even because very often in humanities you turn to past and that past would often be pre modern past where things are preserved orally for instance right right pre pre writing pre print past where things are preserved orally transmitted along with changes with each generation so there is something that has stayed the same but at the same time there has always been a space for creative elaboration or addition modification and it passes on so how to really go about quantifying things the way it is possible in natural science is uh i think one of very big challenges for humanities because the interesting thing is not just the fact that the environment acts on the body but it's also that the past somehow acts on the present mm. right mm. i mean it's it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's it's both right how how does the past come into all this or like when you, is, is there an element of time when you think of your systems bimanda is there an element of time is there is there a element of saying does past have an impact on how things happen in the present from a from a from a rate of reaction perspective yeah here we can say consider the give continuing on the same example um say i consider in a again in a, in a system of water molecules i create ions in many different places mm-hmm. now i'll come to or hore will you know comment on the glassy part so what happened each ion is going to probe different water configuration so one water is here which is far off say 10 nanometer far or 100 nanometer far there's another ion i placed right both i excite then if i can study each of them they will have different trajectory mm-hmm. what we measure experimentally or was it quote is the average behavior so that means the system going through very different dynamical things and we are probing a part of that this is also sometimes called nonlinearity of the relaxation but there's still no past in this right i mean this is so this what happened now a hmm. system is undergoing a dynamics for infinite time uh-huh. it has a past uh-huh. it is going on it is tragic it is going through all its different states of the ensemble which are which are just uncount you know beyond our counting so i am capturing a part of that as if you know you are uh, uh, in a, in a sitting on a huge expanse of universal time and you are just g- taking a glance of that so a system at equilibrium follows a certain time trajectory right however if the system not in equilibrium if the system is not in equilibrium then past is more important because at what time in hoe's example at what time he starts in his uh, coffee beans he starts observing will be determined by the past so so in an equilibrium system if system is following through all its dynamical events 
and I can pick up and study. In a non-equilibrium system, hmm. where it's a non-equilibrium system where past is really important. Does that make sense to you, Sachin? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, is there a way yeah, of saying? Yeah, definitely it does make a sense when, because if things are in equilibrium, then uh, there is there has not been much change. It is slow. It's only when uh, it's out of equilibrium that uh, the causative factors become important. What has so uh, brought about this change? becomes interesting and even interesting at times. Uh, so what are those interventions in the system that has caused this system to be out of equilibrium? So past becomes, I think, important when there is change. It means I think past is created by the phenomena of change itself. Yeah. Yeah, this is clear. It's uh, almost, in physics, it's almost the definition of out of equilibrium is that you keep a, a clock that tells you you've been prepared five hours ago, two years ago. If you have liquid water, the question is meaningless, unless you're talking of femtoseconds or picoseconds. But if you're talking about minutes, water prepared a minute ago is identical to water prepared five years ago. Uh, there is no difference. By, by prepared, you mean, let's say it was melted from ice or something Exactly, like or, or, or condensed from vapor. And, and uh, there's nothing in it. There's nothing. It, it just reached its destination, and it, you cannot know when it did. While a glass that is permanently... So is that a kind of memorylessness? Exactly. Uh, hmm. the, there is a loss of your historical memory, while a glass... And of course, biology in general has a memory of all its past because it is not equilibrium. It's almost the definition of being out of equilibrium. So is there a way of inducing memorylessness? Nobody is trying to carry out crazy social experiments or anything, but if, if there are super robust, stable, as you called them a while ago, dynamics that exist over time, obviously the memorylessness is on the when there's a phase transition or something like that there's memorylessness between phases right equilibrium for human beings would be that there is a state which is the natural one and which once reached never evolves hmm. but as far as i can tell nobody proposes that such a thing exists yeah, yeah no, but it, it probably evolves but not in a way uh, you would like it to evolve uh going so what, back what, one thing I, I just saying this great example is protein folding yeah and if a protein misfolds if it if it goes to its unique native state which it does 99.999% then we don't know anything of the past however if a protein misfolds then we are worried about its past then we know at what point of time what could go up gone wrong yeah exactly when the error happened exactly so by mistake we know the past when it goes to an equilibrium. So now in this case of protein folding, right, it's so fascinating. I mean, why, just for the vast search space that it has to possibly encounter and what it has to do, how does it happen as fast as it does? I mean, Yeah, you know, know this is the famous Leventhal paradox. Yeah. That uh, how does it uh, finds. So basic Leventhal paradox is the following, that if I have 101 amino acid, each amino acid, that means protein is 101 amino acid chain long, and each amino acid has three configurations. Yeah. Then it has three to the power 101. Yeah. Now, if I say it, 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 what you just said, huge sample space, that is three to the power 101. Yeah. Now, if the protein can sample each state in a 
fast rate of nanosecond uh, even then it will take some 10 to the 27 years yeah how But does a, how does a protein folds hmm. in a minutes it obviously folds super fast yes in, 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 you know uh, in seconds or uh, minutes or hours so the resolution of the hamilton paradox came because that there is a driving force mm -hmm. and the driving the, uh, and there is a famous uh, so and uh, the way it was uh, by driving force you mean just the need to adapt or no it's a free energy landscape mm -hmm. essentially it's a free energy landscape that drives protein folding and in the process it has enough gadgets over the evolution enough tuning to avoid misfolding So, give you an example, very famous example. It was given first by um, uh, Richard Dawkins in his Blind Watchmaker, and he adapted it to protein folding. That you know, if a what Richard Dawkins said, let's say monkey typing. Yeah, sure. I mean, one knows that example, so that's exactly. And hmm. th but then, if you can make the once the monkey hits the correct alphabet, you don't change it anymore. Right. Then it just in couple of thousand strokes. Right. So, th th but then the, you you are taking a decision. What is right? What is wrong? Who is making a decision, right and wrong? That we make in physics all the time. That's our Monte Carlo simulation. We are always biasing it. So it is the blind force of nature which is biasing it. So is there is there a way of saying how to make processes go faster? or how to make processes go slower is there a way of saying that so one thing that is like, true is that young systems are faster young systems because as you age i'm not talking physically sure. uh, i'm not talking uh, a human being but maybe two but uh, a, a system that has been very uh, by long, by young you mean just prepared so this but that's because they're unstable because they're a bit more unstable they have more space to move so right. to speak so so young systems are more agile and as uh, old old habits die hard so that's bad news for uh, sachin right because if there are social customs or norms we can call it whatever we like the very fact that they've been around for a long time reduces the probability that it might change no Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it sounds a little pessimistic. Yeah, rules, but that's rules kind of have been set in. Rules have been set in. Yeah, things However, are already. However, history is also witness where there were massive changes that happened in, and as he says, maybe it's the younger stage when we when we talk of, say, for example, Renaissance in the West, sure. where there were massive the shifts that happened. Right. So similar kind of massive shifts. did not happen here in the sense of emergence of what we call as modernity today there were changes obviously but uh, that did not happen and uh, i was actually interested in uh, this uh, disequilibrium or being out of equilibrium and the question of memory mm -hmm. that uh, you brought up and uh, how when the advent of colonialism in india happened and a new system was imposed or maybe brought in certain way also with uh, the complicitness of the colonized and a new system found its way based on say printing or western modes of education and dissemination of knowledge so those questions again and as he was saying what we are interested in what is what has gone wrong hmm. so there was a lot of reflection in what resulted in this condition mm -hmm. so there was a kind of introspective uh, uh, analysis of the loss 
that happened because of colonialism. And that uh, became a kind of revivalistic project very often uh, on very majoritarian lines in 19th century, many places in India, but definitely in Maharashtra. So there was a revivalist project, interest in history and memory that oh. was almost obsessive. But that came with this disruption, with this out of equilibrium, massive thing that happened with colonial uh, rule setting in. So these disruptions again have the uh, again brings us back to the questions of memory all and, the time. And 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 this revivalism is some kind of a retracing back to an earlier state of the system, or it's something else. It's uh, it's more of memory, uh, in the sense that uh, it doesn't exist. But uh, the interest in it's revived, which would not have otherwise been so. Right. And not that this disruption not been there or been out of equilibrium not being there. So at least it, it results in the memory being memory reformed. Reformed or? and used for mobilizations of political and cultural kind. Is there a way of saying something in the case of chemical reactions? What yeah, makes what? chemical, like, okay, what's the slowest chemical reaction? Slowest. Is, there a, is, is that uh, a stupid question? No, it's not a slowest reaction. If you ask any chemist, they will think of chemical reaction, which is uh, in the absence of enzyme catalysis. Like in, say, any kind of a, of, uh, the breaking out of uh, glucose in our body into CO and H2O, that is, uh, or, or, or um, lactose. This is done by one enzyme called galactosidase, which is done in some millisecond time scale. If you do not have that enzyme, then this will happen in a, a trillion times slower. You know, it's a 10 to the power 10 order, I mean, there 10 orders of magnitude slower. So whenever you think of a slow reaction, we think of a chemical reaction, which is... Which so here the enzyme is a catalyst of sorts. Uh, so if you remove the enzyme, then we get the slowest of the biochemical reactions. Mm -hmm. This is a very important thing that and uh, we are, we, now we are beginning to figure out how enzyme does it. It's a very interesting uh, uh, physics and chemistry goes on how an enzyme used its charges to weaken a bond and then break the bond with the help of water molecules most of the time. Right. It's a beautiful kind of things that have gone on. One thing you have to always keep in mind. So would, would, would this, so absent this enzyme, so this would be the slowest reaction? One of the slowest reaction, yeah. There are many, all enzyme, uh, all these biochemical reactions mm -hmm. are, you know, then kinase, like um, our water, uh, the energy, uh, we are talking, the energy is given by um, energy molecule. And ATP, uh, adenine triphosphate, has to combine with uh, monophosphate to get two diphosphate, ADP, two ADP. Right. That reaction is the energy reaction. And that is an exceedingly slow, which will probably, you put an ATP and an AMP together, it will trillion years, it will not do. Is that an equivalent of these enzymes and catalysts that can make uh, physical processes, I don't want to call them reactions because they're not reactions, physical processes go slower or faster? Yes, there, there's um, 
just a very concrete example, you can make a glass not only of spheres, but of spheres that have different sizes. Right. Uh, They're given a distribution of sizes. Mm -hmm. And then you put this in the computer, you simulate it, and you make them move, and it's extremely slow. But in the computer, you can allow every now and then, you can choose to allow every now and then, not only the motion of each particle, but swapping particles, a big one and a small one, that are far away from one another. If you allow for swaps, then the dynamics can get 10 orders of magnitude faster. So what was a glass has become just an ordinary liquid. Just by virtue of allowing a motion, this is is like a, a catalyst played at all the levels. When you say glass, do you necessarily mean homogeneous systems? Yes. Well, uh, it's easier if we restrict to homogeneous systems. But here the system is statistically homogeneous. You have big and small with a distribution, for example, four sizes, five sizes of particles, which are well mixed. And now one possibility is to allow them to move normally, or another possibility is to, in the computer, every now and then decide to a big one with a small one. If you allow the swaps, which is a bit like catalyzing, then the thing can become incredibly faster. How about making it slower? Ah, I know glass is slow enough. No, I invented a a glassifier, which is now imagine a glass made of ellipses, ellipsoids. Mm -hmm. Instead of of spheres. Instead of spheres. Yeah. So allow them, and they will produce a glass like just everything else. Now, do the same, but don't allow allow the ellipsoids to move, but not to rotate. Mm. You could even imagine an experiment. Well, if you do this, the only way of changing the angle is replacing mine by another uh, ellipse that is coming from far away and has the appropriate angle. And this is the exact opposite effect. But just to slow it down. Slow it down dramatically. Are glasses like liquids or what? I mean, glasses are not liquid. Because, because when you look at them, instantaneously... They, they seem to flow. Yes, but they flow ever more slowly. But is it a different state of matter? I mean, from a, from a, from a condensed... I mean, Usually we reserve the word state for equilibrium states. And, it's not and this equilibrium. one is not. So in a way... Um, <laughs> It's, it's not, it is definitely different, but we do not know if an equilibrium glass exists. So in other words, what we do not know is we, if glasses can reach a state in which we, they are permanently glasses without changing any of its properties anymore. This is a big question, if a little bit academic. Is there the equivalent of catalyst such in which... Um does both of these things, right? I mean, we're discussing both speeding as well as slowing things down. Uh, With speeding, definitely, I can say. For example, the interventions from other cultural systems of various kinds, transfers of various kinds, like, say, for example, translation Hmm. can introduce a new idiom, can introduce a different thematics or different ways of looking at life. So translation can be one of the interventions in the system which can bring about certain changes. But why why uh, don't you say the same thing about making it slower? Because, you know, I mean, translation can bring an maybe idea. La- in, lack an idea lack can, of translation can maybe s- slow down a system. No, but what does translation do, right? Or what does any intervention do? It introduces a new entity, let's call it an idea or a concept. Idea, into a concept. Uh, but uh, why, why does... A language. Sure, but why does one make the assumption that that change or intervention only speeds things up? It can also slow things down, no? 
it's uh, it's more likely to speed up because it comes from place which is culturally What's the different. opposite of revolution because you know one way to imagine these things is to say that you know you you did the lotman split mm. of saying you know very slow predictable mm. long term change mm. and explosions or revolution mm. once in a while mm. is there something which is opposite which i mean i don't know whether there's anything anything more dull than uh, long term predictable change but some kind of stasis is there something uh. which can lead to that's an interesting question because how languages would die for example hmm. uh is when they lose their mobility hmm. so language death is one of such phenomena where uh, there is lack of mobility in language it doesn't change it doesn't adapt what, what do you mean by mobility means it doesn't bring in the changes which are required you mean in it a different environment with other languages uh, it doesn't interact with different cultural situations mm mm-hmm. Uh, so if language fails to be on the move then probably it dies out means that's just a uh, what occurs to me it, it's more complex than that but this is a kind of uh, simplifying it as an example of uh, opposite of dynamism of slowing down something is when the environment changes but the system does not adapt to it would be one way of uh, how system dies out instead of slowing down in certain ways if you look at languages like sanskrit more codified and systematized they become after panini then uh, it it's restricted to certain kind of uh, elite it's spaces use cases or whatever are much hmm. narrower much fewer so hmm. in your words it loses its mobility hmm. Hmm. when it uh, does not adapt to the altered conditions historical cultural conditions Yes, Bhimanda. I think there are probably different view of that. Um, that can be a different. Yeah. See, I think when a language is spoken by a group of people, if that group of people kind of disappear or migrate to other places, then also your language. Ah, so that's a new be, situation, new environment. Yeah. What I was coming to is that see, you are talking of memory. memory is we have a term which is called memory function which quantifies is a very important thing in glass science that the memory function that uh, which we call by frequency dependent or time dependent of a function like friction you know is a memory is a memory function in the motion of a particle so friction is a memory function mm-hmm. it's a memory function and um, it 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 is a uh, Uh, that diffusion is related to friction, you know, is inversely related to friction, and we talk of uh, memory of the diffusion, and then uh, that immediately generalizes to frequency dependent. But that is one thing which also connect to everything here, that we seem to always talk of time as our own perception. That is the linear thing. we are looking at a very linearly but each system has its own time has its own clock so if we could transform to the clock of the system right then it's like like a transformation lorenzian transformation we would probably get a you know another alternative description may not be better but another description of the phenomena i think much of the do, do all systems have an internal clock is glass must be that is the clock is becoming longer and longer 
Yes, water has its own clock, which is very fast. So I think one could possibly define a system also. It's a transformation, you understand. It's kind of a Lorentz transformation, going from one frame of reference to another frame of reference. This is an interesting notion, right, of an internal clock of sorts, because, you know, the any any question of fastness or slowness has to be anchored somewhere, and I think right. this anchored it somewhere. You were saying something, Jorge. Just as a physicist and relating to the subject of society change, and one thing that strikes the, the physicist that I am is that you, you can get a, a few million human beings and ask yourselves, in what state, societal states, can it last for a century or two, which is pretty stable, let's say, or five centuries. And I can count the one that the, the caste system was an example. Uh, feudalism in Europe was an example. Liberal democracy seems to be lasting. <laughs> Communism lasted the way it was for 70 or so years. Uh, so this means that uh, I, I cannot imagine animals being able to coexist in several possible states. Hmm. And it is it is a bit of a miracle, just like water can be a vapor or, or a liquid, it is a bit of a miracle that these systems are stable without external intervention because nobody from the exterior imposed the caste system, nobody from the exterior imposed feudalism. There are always classes that oppose, but it's not... Uh, it's not solely imposed. It's a global property. So you're saying what is surprising to you in a way is that the same human beings and in the same within courts are somehow able to exist in different kinds of states. Yes, which, which are relatively which seems stable. to self-emerge or something. I mean, it, Absolutely. It's kind of, it's and this is an evidence. And I'm not saying that these are eternal, but some of them last for a long time. And it's quite amazing that this is a possibility. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a very interesting observation. I think this uh, who, it has something to do with human intelligence. If we think of human intelligence as a system, then what kind of system it is becomes a very uh, interesting question. And as humanity is, it's always self-reflexive. It's uh, intelligence looking at itself very often. And well, that gives an, rise to yeah. all sorts of paradoxes. Would you say that speed is somehow synonymous with forgetting uh, that's the idea because you know when you talk of memory and so on um, where does this memorylessness come from I know you mentioned that revolutions can or something can lead to revivalism right. you harken back to something this, more people remember this uh, relation between speed and slowness with memory and forgetting it comes up in Milan Kundera's very famous novel called Slowness mm -hmm. Which, as I said, that while literary criticism or cultural studies has not sufficiently engaged with the question of slowness, writers have uh, engaged with it very often. I so, what example. exactly is the link? Uh, so, the link is uh, uh, when you are, say, for example, driving at very high speed, or you are engaged in something which riding is a motorcycle, motorcycle at very high speed, and then you are in the present. Then you are in present. Yeah, and you, you can't afford to uh, reflect, uh, reflect or um, you, think you about your past. While driving. Right. So uh, more you slip into memory, you may even end up slowing down your vehicle. Right. Right. So this is the image that comes up in Milan Kundera's novel, where he's actually trying to develop a different kind of poetics of slowness. 
and also an ethics of slowness where he says that the world because of technology has is becoming obsessed with speed mm-hmm. we are very interested in how to speed up things further and further and uh, what happens and because is that of kind of society by extension uh, by definition more forgetful it becomes more forgetful it starts caring less and less for the past uh and uh, milan kundera seems to be arguing that you are losing out when you are slowing down on some things and he uses a very interesting metaphor of gazing at god's window mm-hmm. the the luxury and the of gazing at god's window is something that we are losing out because of our addiction to speed maybe and that also reflects in relationships sex where he says it's all about he gives an example of a uh, lecture by a feminist on sexuality which mentions orgasms 47 times in okay. one hour so you are almost quantifying your sexuality in terms of how many orgasms did you have but in the process the slowness of it not reaching orgasm the pleasure of slowness is something that is being missed out and he is developing a critique of this capitalist technological society which is uh, uh obsessed with speed so what would milan kundera do so he talks about slowing Because down it's not easy to step off the um, yeah, you can say that modernity escalator. is fast or whatever but right. you can't just step off the earth right and right. uh, sure you can do a little bit right. but but we can actually create spaces of maybe sp- within this uh, very fast world runaway world as some people call maybe spaces of slowness within relationships within wherever it's possible with yourself is 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 there a link between uh, forgetting or memorylessness and speed or hey i'm not talking about human beings uh, as a human being i think that we all have remarked how time goes faster as we age and this time goes faster as we age it does you just remember up to, up to a point probably in a year <laughs> in the you remember a year in secondary school it it was eternal yeah and now a year passes you don't remember when was the last time you you did a, you, you you visited paris if it was 3 or 8 years ago um so this i don't know i asked a lot of people i guess it has to do with your memory i guess but it is one of the experiences of living that uh, a a year in the 20s is not a year in childhood is not a year in your 40s is not a year in your 50s yeah that's what i was saying time time itself is a variable mm-hmm. but we human however be- the world itself seems to have been uh, speeding up in certain ways apart but from the, the fact that you're hum- as a human you're aging but to make matter worse the world is going do human faster. beings themselves slow down with age they do I mean, so. is that is I that okay th- that seems sounds like a matter of fact that sounds like then how is it the world is speeding up as all of us are aging or maybe it's a demographic point that milan kundera was making that they took more, more and more it young people it has more to do with technology and uh, modernity and the life cap- technology and capitalism the rat race and very often rat race is not what rats have it's only human beings who have this rat race so this kind of value system that capitalism brings out is also something that can be critiqued by the idea of slowness and leisure in some is there a way in which uh, 
this notion of slowness can be thought of as slowness of response because you know when we talk of actions and reactions and uh, you know whether these are chemical systems or physical or otherwise one tends to visualize this as an immediate response to you know whatever the stimulus might be or whatever the reaction might be yeah, can can I, they be can yeah. they be responses with a lag because that that, yeah, that, that is that is a very a very common uh, physics language we call it's called non markovian right which is essentially memory which is essentially memory of the past so there's a very well defined uh, non equilibrium statistical mechanics method of uh, quantifying and so and also this is also similar to what is called viscoelasticity Mm-hmm. In in you, know, you have both viscosity and elasticity together. Elastic response is almost instantaneous. If you hit a water with your hand, it just coils back. You know, you get instantaneous response. If you slowly push your hand down, then it just your hand goes down. That is viscous response. So there is always this coupling. But what is interesting to get the viscosity to calculate the viscosity of a liquid, you need to include the elastic response. Is really wonderful. So there is all these couplings that the many body systems or correlated system has within it, uh, and that really gets uh, the thing uh, doing science or physics so interesting. You know that you figure out these correlations. You know. and they you find it everywhere not just classical systems in quantum systems you find the the quantum coherence quantum entanglement the things we talk about a lot these days are right. essentially very very similar things so what's the future why don't we try and end with this what's the future or what's the future? i mean what are what are some open questions in your context in the case of uh, glass physics and so on which which have to do with this notion of slowness and speed is the, is there likely to be one theory of all glasses systems is there one one big meta theory that explains everything because i know there are all sorts of competing theories and you and your colleagues agree and disagree on aspects of it yes uh i i have confidence that if you are that there will be a kind of description that will describe the slow dynamics whatever its origin you hmm. will not be saying so there can be one theory of slow dynamics to use a word of Phil Anderson who was mentioned a, a while ago it would be an emergent theory you wouldn't be dealing with every detail that created it the slowness but you could perhaps this is a dream describe all things that have slow dynamics in physics whatever the reason or at least classes of systems that you can describe with one umbrella theory that that underlines the common things and this is very common in physics it happens all the time and what is your guess today of what that theory is likely to be like what are its uh, i'm not suggesting you know it i'm not suggesting you have a grip on it but what what is your guess on what some ingredients of that theory are likely to be like so let's say it has to do with a system that is not producing much entropy so it's not there are no big flows of heat right and certain things happens as slowly as they can possibly happen and but yet uh, and yet and yet this gives you the time to explore a lot of possibilities to the system without completely ever reaching the complete exploration of all phase space these are words um but i i am 
I am working on the assumption that some such idea can be uh, developed. Uh, I don't know if I will see it, but because otherwise it would be less interesting. <laughs> What's the future, Bimanda? I, I, I'll uh, end with an example. Again, come back to water. Some things we don't talk about too much. Water has a very interesting last transition at 136 Kelvin. Uh, that is minus 130, very interesting, about minus 137 degrees centigrade. And uh, and it forms a bona fide glass. Glass know. transition. Yeah, water becomes a glass. At very, the very fast, ultra-fast water you see in your bottle or glass under becomes an ultra-slow, absolutely a very well-defined glass. Now, why I suddenly brought water glass? Water has very many unusual properties. Like water has one of the highest specific heat. Mm -hmm. Water has one of the highest dielectric constant. Twice of that of much heavier liquids like acetonitrile or methanol or ethanol. An amazing liquid. But then nobody, there's a region called no man's land, which is between 230 Kelvin uh, and about uh, that 155 Kelvin. That no liquid is there. But that's, if you can make the water, keep water in the liquid state, there are fantastic properties that liquid has, which is observed in theory and simulations. There is a transition called high-density liquid, the liquid you are drinking, to low-density liquid, LDL. This never experimentally captured by theoreticians' prediction and imagination. That transition explains why water at 300 Kelvin at our room temperature has the highest specific heat and highest uh, dielectric constant on all other anomalous properties. So is this glassy water possible to make? Yeah, glassy water has been made in real experiment. It's straightforward? Yeah, straightforward. You hyperquench it, you get hyperquench glass, you go to high pressure, high pressure glass, all the glasses have been so formed. So it's very similar to just blowing glasses? Yes, in a little bit more sophisticated way. You can sure. take and spray it on a cold plate and you can make it. Now, very right. interesting thing is that when you're talking of unifying concepts in glass, that region, no man's land, is, is, holds the secret to glass formation and also to our normal liquid. Mm. So it's a wonderful, you know, it's a kind of a conceptual thing that has emerged. Uh, and many, many, many people are working on that. And uh, people have been able to observe this transition in a nanotube, in a very thin tube. Right. They have been able to find out. So people believe it exists, but it seems to be controlling both temperature of the glass, of the water we're drinking, and this really, really water glass. Water does form glass, you know, it becomes very slow, as slow as any glass. Interesting, Sachin, we'll end with you. Yeah. What's the future so, of... Uh, uh, slowness. Yeah, I think uh, it has a very interesting field, especially in history of culture and history of literature, for instance, where people are more interested in sudden shifts and changes rather than those periods which are changing very, very slow. Uh, or 
like uh, Lotman would go on and theorize that all these processes seem to happen simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Means within a given period, you find things that have remained Obviously same. both are underway, very fast processes, right, very, right, very slow. Right, right. So literary histories or cultural histories of things that have not changed much, history of, and that's almost like a contradiction. These are, this is the case in your systems as well, or hey, Bimanda, both very fast and very slow processes right. can coexist. Right, is that right, right. Right. Okay. Right. So, very interesting would be the histories, what is known as long durée right. in French. Uh, those histories of culture where there is very little change observed. So, that deep history. Uh -huh. so. The deep history, the history where minimal change happens, slow. So, it becomes a kind of contradiction, history of not changing things. So, but that would interestingly open up new avenues So, is that like some deep, underlying, very long-term trend? Uh, yes. What is it? Yes, yes. What, what is that? that so, would is that be a way of... Uh, maybe persistence of similar kind of poetics or uh, kind of uh, forms of... Uh, what do you mean by similar kinds of poetics? Poetics, I mean that certain rules and the norms around what constitutes something as literature. So what gives uh, us aesthetic pleasure? Right. So that was very similar 2,000 years ago. It's likely to be very similar 10,000 years later. You mean in that sense? Right. But then it has to be explained in terms of forms. Right. And certain forms give us a lot of pleasure in, or were considered prominent in certain period. And that lasted quite a great deal. For example, novel seems to have lived quite long uh, history in the West. So, cinema, as we were discussing in the morning, is 100 years old. So, certain forms have lasted for certain periods with changes which are not abrupt or radical. So, what are these trends and what are these themes that seem to have this long duty format? You mentioned poetics. Right. Uh, taking a very specific case would be the history of Marathi poetry and literature that I'm examining. And uh, you have poetics of Advaita, which is of a different school that comes up in Marathi via Nath Pan. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have lasted quite some time. Means, and what's the reason behind that? I'm not sure myself. But that is an in interesting history of persistence, if it's again a contradiction. That can be far more interesting than maybe history of change. I'm not very sure. So that can be a future avenue of research that you can look at slow, very, very slow, uh, history of very, very slow. And are these constants or these are very slow change? So uh, I think there is nothing which is constant. These are histories of slow changes, but which are not observable or maybe they are predictable very often. And uh, Lotman makes a very interesting distinction between science and technology, mm -hmm. saying that science uh, does not change as abruptly as technology does but contradictorily technology is predictable in the sense you know what's going to happen right means that's why science fiction imagines a lot of technology in advance but uh, science that kind of change that science undergoes is explosive means yeah it's, it's more radical it comes out of nowhere radical. so it's explosive change that happens in science Techno purely technological change doesn't come out of right. nowhere right so I it's mean, a it predictable is usually born in science right. and then so people have been talking about convergence before it became a big thing for example right so, right. so right. technology changes predictably while science does not right right interesting I think that's, that's a good note to end yeah. this on Thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again.
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.